welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness. Reflections and conversations exploring recovery work in spiritual disciplines and where they come together. The Outer Circle comes from a recovery exercise called the Three Circles. The Middle Circle contains the bottom line behaviors, those destructive patterns you are working to avoid. The Second Circle contains those behaviors, patterns, places, and relationships that, while not inherently bad, for you are an integral part of the spiral towards the Middle Circle. The outer circle contains the vision of your best and fullest self that you are seeking to live. Turning towards this full self is turning away from your middle circle. The outer circle explores daily practices that promote sobriety, presence, balance, connection, thriving, purpose, healing, and resilience. Inner stillness is a concept from Orthodox Christian spiritual thought that refers to the deepest part of a person's soul, the place where God lives and speaks. In pursuing the outer circle and the inner stillness, I believe we can find all that we need. Welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness podcast to join us on the journey within. We'll probably have a more formal introduction that you will have just heard at this point, but fun, fun, fun Easter egg for anybody who's following the podcast so far. Um, whatever episode got released first, uh, this is actually the first episode that we're recording. So this is the actual pilot, <laughs> whatever functional pilot ends up out there also. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Orthodox Christian and an addictions counselor and aspiring pre-published science fantasy author details about that some other time and Mm -hmm. also in recovery myself uh, in various ways and i'm here at the microphone with very good friends and colleague ian nelson uh ian how are you doing today uh good good and tired lots of lots of things in the midst of a lot of a lot of change so but i'm i'm good i'm glad to be here thanks for having me Absolutely. I'm glad you're here. What is a short synopsis of who you are? And in particular, um, what's your relationship to the spiritual journey as well as the recovery journey? Yeah. Uh, so I've grown up in Christianity for, for all of my life. Basically, I've, I've, I've been on the counseling track most of my life. So that's where Reese and I met was at Multnomah and the Masters of Counseling program. Um, and I've in, in actual practice, my work has been with kids with developmental disabilities and people, uh, adults with, um, more severe mental illness and secure site facilities for the last 10 years. So that working with, with that population in combination with working with myself and Christianity and my own struggle with pornography mainly and the shame that that is based on has resulted in me being, being very interested in conversations like this with people like Reese. So here I am. So here we are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your career track has been really interesting, really colorful. And mm-hmm. uh, you, I, I've, I've always loved hearing the stories about the people you meet. And some very, uh, I guess by some rubrics, we'd call them people on the fringe, which is probably not at all fair to say, because I mean, all people have inherent value and something to teach us and, and are really worthy, but, uh, yeah. you know, con- conventionally speaking. Um, yeah. So I, they're people that we treat as though they are on the fringe for sure though. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I really love the way that you've always like worked to, you know, prioritize like what can you learn and what sort of connections can you make from them? 
Yep. Yeah. They've, it's crazy. I mean, I, for 10 years, I've been taught by kids with developmental disabilities, people on the spectrum, people with severe mental illness. Um, and I, and I have, I, I think taught them as well as whenever they're willing to, to learn, but I've learned so, so much from them. Like the, the kid that I work with now on the spectrum is just one of my favorite teachers, you know, and this year is one of the first times that I've, I've really embraced like everyone as a teacher, everything as a teacher in ways. And he's just, he's an amazing teacher. He's like really good at questioning, questioning everything. Like a lot of kids are, you know, um, and feeling what he's feeling. And it's beautiful. Those are hard things to do. Question everything to feel what you're feeling. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about radical acceptance, self-compassion and similar concepts there today. Uh, so it, when, so it, it would be worthy of pointing out how we're coming at this as we, we, when we, we both have a degree of, uh, clinical training and professional experience and some, you know, some, some rank in like the, the professional community. And I mean, certainly that will inform what we say, I think, but I, but I think as we were talking more of what informs this conversation is our own experience as as strugglers, as um, people struggling to master ourselves and overcome things, and not fully having everything figured out, but we've gotten kind of good at asking questions and and observing things along the way. What would you say about that? About uh, how your comment should be interpreted? Do you think? Um. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm someone who's learning. I'm someone who, I mean, right now I'm in a phase of challenging a lot of the things that I've, that I've believed, um, to be concrete and, uh, correct. Um, and that, that, that affects the way that I'm, um, commenting and viewing things. Yeah. I mean, I, so, I mean, a lot of, a lot of this, my perspective comes from a lot of contemplation, a lot of hard spaces of, uh, personal, personal spaces, just working on my own stuff. I've, I've been trying to fix myself for 30 years or for like, you know, 20 years or whatever. And I'm, I'm just starting to get to the place where I I'm deciding that I don't need to be fixed. So a lot of, a lot of that is, is in there, you know? Um, yeah, definitely, definitely as a learner, as someone who is just, I'm questioning things and I'm trying to, to learn from questions and, um, just have a little bit more of an, an, an open, um, expanding perspective rather than a constricted boxy one. I do find that open perspectives tend to work really well in the sort of work or I guess the inverse, sometimes holding a really rigid perspective can be really hard. And I think, um, I guess, uh, maybe a question for a later time would be what's the difference between a really rigid approach versus, versus having a really firm conviction. But, um, but I think what we're talking about is more, more inner flexibility or like inner gentleness. Well, I guess, so I guess, uh, I'll use this as a launch, a launch point. So, so you talk about, uh, coming to a point of deciding you don't need to be fixed. So, mm-hmm. so in, in interpreting, I don't think you're saying I'm giving up, but mm-hmm. I, okay, you're affirming. Um, but I do, but it, but I guess 
well, what are you saying is kind of, kind of the exploration and, and I know we're, we're, we're throwing around buzzwords like radical acceptance. That's, mm-hmm. that's a technical term from the, the dialectical behavioral therapy world. Uh, you know, we'll talk about, you know, self-compassion, which I think just comes from a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll bring, I'll bring up the idea of, you know, space and curiosity, which is used by like the somatic experiencing therapists. It's used within like the internal family systems framework. It's used within a variety, a variety of, of clinical frameworks. Um, how, Ian, how, how do you understand what radical acceptance is? Well, the, the phrase, I don't need to be fixed. I think, I think starts to get into it. Um, and I, and I think it expands into, we don't need to be fixed. And basically the world doesn't need to be fixed. I think there's, there's, so most of my life that I've very strongly believed the opposite of all of those things. I need to be fixed. We need to be fixed. The world is super broken and hopefully God will burn it soon so we can get a new one basically. And, and like, and, and that's applied to me as an individual too and society. Like, yeah, hopefully basically like the person that I am gets burned away so that I can be, so that I can arrive, you know, um, one of the, one of the first concepts that I kind of, I guess, deconstructed in the Christian faith was, was the idea of arrival that we, we ever get to the point of being fixed that, that we become perfect in any way or infallible or, um, anything like that. So, I mean, and, and that basically just came from the idea that well, God God being the all of goodness and, and us moving towards that concept of total goodness um, that will never be God, basically. Um, and so that was kind of my first step towards like, okay, if I'm, if I'm never going to be the entirety of goodness, if I'm never going to be the entirety of perfection, then I think that means I'm always going to be growing. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to arrive and I'm never going to be I'm never going to have this feeling like, okay, there's nothing in me that needs work anymore because that's the, that's the feeling that's, and that's shame. I think a lot of the time it it can be guilt too, but a lot of, a lot of what's motivated me in this search for, um, truth about human growth and development and healing is like, okay, I want to get to the point where I don't feel like, a horrible person because I see all these places that I have all this work that needs to be done. So, so getting to the point where I was like, okay, I'm literally always going to have areas that I need to work on. I think literally, I mean, in my previous understanding of the world, it was even, even in heaven with a new body, I'll literally have an eternity to always keep working on things to always keep growing. And so it's, it's, so the radical acceptance is not, as you said, it's not being okay with where I am now as when it comes to staying there. That's not it. It's not, I want to stay exactly the same because I am perfect now. It's no, I, I'm growing and that's what's perfect. And I'm, and I have been growing and I will be growing and everything, everything is changed. Everything is changing and the change is i i believe forward um the 
that we we are moving towards love. We do that in spirals sometimes. We have we have back back sliding and going running the opposite way, you know. But ultimately, that it that it is it it is moving forward, especially when we look at the bigger picture of of us as the universe, as humanity, that the ways that we're growing and changing is exactly the ways that we're meant to be growing and changing. Is that, is that making sense? Any, any clarification there? <laughs> I think it makes sense. I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of just sit, sit, sitting in that a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do that responsible listening thing where I like fully hear your words and I'm not just like plotting <laughs> my response. Although there's a little bit of response plotting, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But I think it's really beautiful. I mean, I mean, you talk about this idea of fate and from here and you're right of recognizing that my process is going to be what it's going to be and it's going to go at a particular rate and not precluding struggle and not, not saying it's not, it's not work because it is. But I, I think I, what I hear you talking about is maybe relinquishing the endpoint a little bit um, or mm-hmm. maybe less focus on I have to arrive at a particular point and more focus on uh, I want to be engaged in the journey as I go um, mm-hmm. the, the whole way. And yeah. you, you talked about kind of embracing the growth. You talked about like, you know, um, I'm growing, I will be growing. And uh, play a play on words, I could almost expand it to, you know, to hear you say, you know, I'm growing, I will be growing, someday I will be grown. There's this kind of theological counterpart in, in, in Orthodox thought of, you know, I was it I, w- I was saved I, I am being saved and, you know someday I will be saved uh, this idea mm-hmm. of salvation very much as, as process and in an Orthodox thought I mean we, we we talk about it in as, as theosis and actually very much becoming becoming like God and even even when we hold this idea that that's that that's part of the potential of the human person being being made in the image of God, that goodness that never goes away. The the ultimate end of that is is Christ likeness. It's by grace for us, whereas by Christ it was by nature. But I mean, but we hold that as the goal of of salvation. So, is there an endpoint in that? Do you think? Yeah. It, I mean, I'm hearing like so. There, I'm grown. I'm saved. Is that an, is that an endpoint? Is that kind of how you interpret it? A little bit more. Well, in practice, there. So there's a there's a starting point where you know, where you know. I mean. It's, 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 it's in baptism where we, where we join the church and then there's the, the process, which is the rest of life, you know, sacramental life, liturgical life. And then there's the, the end point. We know whenever we're now finally in the presence of God, at which point, uh, repentance is no longer possible because we're no longer fully in our corporeal state. And there's fun theology there, but like, but there, there, there's that end goal there and life then is, is preparation for, for that. So it's, so there is, there is kind of a sense of, I, I guess there's this, there's this mix there. There's a sense of there, there is an end goal, but there's also process and procedure in the meantime. And I, I'd be curious your thoughts on this. I mean, you, you and I both grew up in, I think, similar, similar uh, Christian traditions, Protestant, evangelical-ish traditions. And uh, tell, tell me your recollection. My, my recollection was, having this goal of holiness often presented to me of, you know, be, be like Jesus and, uh, you know, don't, don't sin and everything. Um, but there wasn't really a rubric for that, or there wasn't really a method or if I did sin, there wasn't 
a really clearly defined way for me to come back. I just had to like feel bad or feel repentant or just show up in church again. Oh, you froze a minute there. And, and, and I remember, I remember for me that it felt kind of vague and undefined, you know, compared, compared to where I'm at now, where, you know, if I, if I sin, if I rupture something, there's a much clearer route back. Like I say, well, like, I, I do repentance in a particular way. I go to confession. I go back to the Eucharist. I, if I've wounded someone, I, I, yeah, I make a prostration and ask their forgiveness. And there's, it's a much more tangible and body thing. And so I think that, I mean, for me, for me, that, uh, that helps the process to not feel quite so impossible. I mean, it's like daunting, discouraging sometimes, but, but because there's this embodied component that, that really helps it. What do you, you're reflecting on, if I was hearing you right, um, this really high pressure to like hit a particular standard and, Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I wonder if in your growing up context, if you felt like you had support in that, or if it was more like this free floating, vague, kind of just feel your way through it process. Um, yeah. When well, I want to come back to the, the goal and the end point too, because I think that is something that, um, <clears throat> we might have different, different perspectives on that I think is, um, is key. But I think, so when it comes to the tools given to, to actually move towards that end point. I think it, I think it's called white knuckling it. It's just, you just try harder. You just, and, and, and the result of, of that being the way was if you're not at the place that you should, you should be. And I want to talk about shoulds too. Um, then we should do that. It it would be good (laughs) to do that. We could do that. (laughs) We could. Uh huh. Um, if if you're not where you should be, in quotes, then it's because you're not trying hard enough, basically. And 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 trying hard enough very easily translated to it's because you are not good enough. There's something wrong with you. Um, other people can can do it, and and you cannot for for the reason that you are not good enough, basically. But yes, I mean, there it's. I think that the. the the Protestant church that I experienced especially was very anemic when it came to practices that actually shape us and in theosis, the actual transformation process. It was sitting, sitting in a, in a pew on Sunday morning. wasn't really transformative. It was a check and check in the box, you know? And I mean, I think maybe the one, I mean, one or two practices we were supposed to have were just like, just read your Bible and, and pray and just do better, you know? So, so reading Bible is great, but it also was, um, well, it's it, very was, intellectual and there wasn't structure around the Bible. It was just reading Bible. It wasn't, it wasn't read your Bible in, in this way. There, there was no lecto divina, divina, whatever that one is. Like there wasn't mm-hmm. practices around it. It was just read the Bible, you know? Right. There's not really any practices, not really any context for it, not really any context uh, or sparse or it was very special if there was context given to like what was church history in the early church and like mm-hmm. the Jewish context out of which it was coming and everything. And yep. and yeah, it's this very intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're very right, though, in reflecting on how this idea of white knuckling translates to just try harder. And and thus, if you are failing, air quotes, then something's wrong with you. And so, 
or maybe in a generous context, you know, something's wrong with like the church supporting you, but like there, there's always a sense of like something's wrong. And I think that, that might be an interesting segue into this other, this other idea you brought up about, um, well, it's in talking about talking about acceptance, accepting the journey we're on is a journey we're on. I'm going to sound super like Hallmark Kardash here in a second, but like, uh, <laughs> or what's that? There's a 12 step phrase. It's a, uh, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I have to be careful to stay out of that realm. But, but I guess part, part of the question comes down to like, what do we do with the journey we have? Or maybe it's maybe, maybe the acceptance piece is recognizing. So I'm going to be on this journey. I'm going to fail. Failure is not always my fault. Eh? Uh, so maybe, maybe failure is not always bad and maybe even going beyond that, maybe failure can even be good. Yep. And from, I guess, yeah, I guess fail, failure would be one thing, but it would be maybe a short leap to, to think about, well, what happens when like pain and suffering happen in general and we have to struggle through those and maybe don't do so well. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of my favorite teachers, the kid that I work with, he has a hard time making mistakes, as I think a lot of us do. Uh, we, we work with um, online um, school software that I think I think they actually changed this this year, which is which is cool. But when you made a mistake, it would make a kind of a hard beeping sound, and at the end of the lesson, there'd be like a red screen that came up and said like uh oh and like a sad little dog or something you know and like those some of those moments where he where he made those mistakes and and didn't didn't pass one of the little courses they were they were really relatable um and and so the kinds of the kinds of conclusions that we've come to out of those kinds of things are um it's it's okay to move make a mistake we just we don't want to try to get it wrong basically it's it's okay to get things wrong um we're gonna get things wrong that's how we learn we just we just try not to get it wrong you know and we we try our best and so that that concept of like that's kind of the only that that's the good instead of the should is like we're we're trying We're, we're not we're not trying to hurt ourselves or others we're trying to learn and grow and while we're doing that, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt ourselves and others. And that's actually how we learn. Those are really good opportunities to learn. Um, but if we're, if, if we're in this mode of, okay, I can't make mistakes. I have to get it right. Then it's extremely painful when we do, because we, we always do. If, if it's, if we have this, this is what, when it comes down to, like questioning reality and what is real and what is good. If we, if we believe that what reality is or should be is us not making mistakes, then we're living in that false reality. And it's extremely painful because it has a ton of tension with what is actually real, which is making mistakes, hurting ourselves as other and others as we're growing. And it, it's just, it's so, it's so painful. So, so just that simple phrase of like, um, we're just, we're just trying, we're not trying to get it wrong. We're trying to do our best is like, is super powerful. And I think that that's, those are the, those are the words that I've needed to hear are the ones that have come out of my mouth as I'm processing with this kid that I work with, um, his, his mistakes and that's how, and that it's okay, you know? 
So that, so I guess that, so one of the first kind of points that I, I wanted to, to dive into a little bit was this, this mantra that I've had this year is, <clears throat> which is that I am good and I have a good place in this world. Um, that basically starting, starting with that I am a person who's trying the best in the circumstances that I've been given. Um, and I'd like to expand upon that, um, moving out outward to others as well, to all of us. But I think that's the place to start. Um, just believing that, that I actually am trying the best in the circumstances that I'm, that I'm given. And I, that's a statement that I say that I, that I believe and I don't believe. I am practicing believing that, um, I'm practicing embodying that treating Ian as though he is trying his best. That's hard. Or could it be said that you are in the process of trying your best more and more or like your best today is one thing. And in like three weeks, it'll be something more different. And maybe I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about that in terms of like, I don't I have three kids. They're, you know, eight, four, and one. And, you know, for them to all try their best at sweeping the kitchen floor is going to look way different. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for my one-year-old, it's not going to happen at all. Uh, yep. My four-year-old, they'd be like kind of cute. My eight-year-old can do it, uh, but needs, mm-hmm. needs some pushing. And so, like, I just, I expect more of each one as I get older. Like, mm-hmm. right, so I, I expect more of myself because I'm a grown-up. So, you know, you talk about, I need to see myself as try, trying my best. So, I mean, maybe, maybe with a provision for, um, I should invite some self-reflection, some self-reflection, maybe even some challenge and maybe even like get some, get some input, you know, I can be in reference to like some other people's observations of me, but, but Mm -hmm. with this, this generosity, this graciousness toward yourself as one who's developing and you can handle much more now than you could five years ago and maybe much less than you can, than you could 20 years from now. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. So I don't think I believe that I'm trying my best. I believe that I'm trying my best in the circumstances. And that's actually a huge, a huge difference that Uh, I I believe that the the circumstances around me, um, within me even, um, could be, and I, and I am hopeful that they will be, uh, better, more skillful, more loving, um, more wise, um, et cetera, that, that, uh, and I, and that's in the future, but they, they could be, they could be better now. They aren't. I mean, that's the thing. They aren't this. My circumstances are my circumstances. It, it is what it is. It isn't what it isn't. There's no changing reality. Um, but they're, they're imagining, imagining what could be better about our circumstances is actually a really powerful capacity that humans have. Um, so, I, I'm, I simultaneously imagine that I, I could be doing better and I could be trying better. And the ways that I do that are, I think, especially by imagining which circumstances could help me try even better. So those, those are the distinct differences because that, because it's, I mean, the imagination of the human brain is so powerful that we can imagine better circumstances for ourselves as individuals within which we can thrive even more and, and our best can be even better. If that makes yeah, sense. I think so. Uh, it's reminding me a little bit about this idea of uh, the, the mental readers. Yeah. I can't talk <laughs> It's too early in the morning or actually it's too middle of the day. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this idea of the mental rehearsal where you visualize yourself doing a thing 
And it's supposed to prime the brain to be more ready to do it in, in that way. Uh, or there's a similar idea of let me, when I think about who's my true self and, and, and all of that to you look into like, who's, who's my future ideal self and, mm-hmm. and always kind of, kind of, kind of reaching for that. And, and again, it's the, the tension of, I have that goal in mind and the thing that I'm reaching for, but in the moment I will allow that I'm not there yet. And it might take time an unspecified amount of time. And it might be a really nonlinear process. And part of what I have to do in the meantime is allow myself to see myself as one who's, who's trying, who's doing the best that I can with what I have, the best that I can with what I know. And I guess like the ideal counterpart is ideally this is what we do for others as well. And I mean, I think this fits with like a lot of clinical frameworks, you know, certainly within an orthodox framework of uh, like, you know, I mean, be, be hard on yourself, be very gentle with others and like I kind of assume the best about others and like allow that others, you know, we allow a lot of other space for, for other people. And so I think there could be a way of like, internalizing that as well. And like, you know, Someone somewhere, even if it's God himself, is like allowing a lot of space for us as well. So I yeah. think we're good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think, so it's, I want to get into a little bit the difference between like N, N endpoint and um, like possible, possible uh, different variations of circumstances. Because it, so I think the, the damage that has been done to me and in the Protestant church has often been through a specific endpoint that is so like comparison mostly. So there's, there's, there's people in my church and my school and um, in my life that are, they, they represent the specific endpoint in ways, the, the supposed to, the shoulds, the have it figured out peoples. Um, and and when I am comparing myself with that, I mean, like in a church, I think it's probably often preacher and counseling relationship. Maybe it's the counselor. I mean, we we idolize people, we put people on pedestals, and then and then they represent to us are are supposed to be our shirts. You know, even I mean, I mean, I think we can even do it with um, we could we could have God and Jesus on that pedestal and say I need to get on that pedestal. I need to become God. I need to become Jesus. And then at that point I will feel good enough, you know, and, and, and there's nothing that should get on, go on the pedestal when it comes to, um, who we should be, uh, and especially in comparison to who we're, who we're not. Um, so having, having a specific endpoint of like, this is what I should look like, even though I don't, even though I won't for a long time, I want to like, that that having that pedestal has been really damaging because I'm constantly looking at it and it's a moving pedestal. As soon as I as soon as I grow, it's just it's 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 a it's a, just a mirage. It's not like it's not like we ever we don't ever get there. And so so having having that um I, I think it's an attachment. I think that's probably the best word for like uh I have to, I should be this way even though I'm not um, a, a grasping for it says Jesus. Jesus did not think of equality with God as something to be grasped, which is crazy that Jesus said that. Like I think that's something that we can do ourselves. Is like 
no, it's not something we grasp, but he was looking at, he was looking at Jesus. He was at God. Jesus was looking at God. We are looking at God. We are looking at, um, the, and I think, I think it's what's most essential is we're looking at, at mystery in a lot of ways. We're looking at, um, possibility at wonder things that we could be, that could be good that we don't, we don't really know how we don't really know what, I don't know what I'm going to be like in the future. When it, when it comes to how I've grown and how I've learned. And, and I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I think that's good that I'm looking forward in a direction, not a, not at a point. Cause that's, that's great. If there's a moving point and I'm never there, I always should be there. I'm never going to get there. And it just keeps on moving. No, F that. But if there's no point on the line, it's kind of like mathematical geometry, geometrical, like if there's no point on the line, it's just a line, it's just a direction forward into mystery, into good, into love towards God, whatever it is. Then I think that's, that takes away a lot of the damage of I'm not at that point. It's like, Oh, I'm on the line. I'm moving forward. I'm growing towards love. Sweet. That's exactly where I'm supposed to be. Instead of I'm, I'm not on this point of the line. You know, does that make sense that it's a, it's a subtle difference in ways, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think if I'm, I think if I'm talking right, like, like talking about having, having a specific endpoint in mind versus just having a really general sense or, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it can be very specific. It's just not an endpoint. So, so when I think of being more loving, I think a, a lot of it has to do with knowing myself and others more. I, I think part of the part of the the reason that I think we can never arrive at a, the destination of perfection or um, total Christ likeness or God likeness is that to to love things is to know things and everything is changing all the time. So as soon as we get to know one, as soon as I get to know my partner, Amanda, I, as that's possible, she's going to change the second after. And, and there's more to get to know. And, and there's always more to learn. So I, the direction is getting to know the things, the people around us, and also getting to know the directions forward, getting to know what love is, how, how to love things and people better and all, how to know those things. And those are, those are always, that's the direction. It's not a point, you know, it's not like, okay, I get to the point where I understand the meaning completely. Yeah. I think I follow. It's a little bit the difference between like having, having, having a goal versus having a value. Like, um, yeah. you know, it's, you know, you could say, you know, I have a goal to learn this amount of data about, you know, my wife, my partner, you know, whoever, you know, but as soon as I reach that goal, then the goal changes because, life changes, you change, she changes all of that. And so that can be the treachery of having a goal or, or we could say, you know, like on a, on a broader level, you know, I have a goal of, you know, graduating from you know this school with this GPA and that degree, and then getting this job with this income and then buying this house with this many bathrooms. And, you know, mm-hmm. you either, you either make it and then there's problems because that was it, or you don't make it. And then there's problems. There's a lot of other problems, you know, versus, having a value of, you know, I value hard work. I value learning. I value cultivating home and hospitality wherever I'm at. You know, these things that can be done and practiced in any context, in any life stage, but allowing that that's going to change. Maybe similarly with, uh, you know, spiritual practices, with recovery practices, you know, we could say in a recovery context. Yeah. So maybe, you know, if I, if I, if I, if I have the goal of, you know, I want to, you know, not drink, not masturbate for, you know, a year or something. Okay. I mean, that's, 
certainly specific and you know clear but if that's the scope of your goal that gets really limited and really frustrating and then it doesn't necessarily demand a lot of life change versus if you know the, the goal is more like i want to be emotionally intelligent i want to be present mm. i want to have vulnerable friendships that requires transformation and that's something that's not specifically tied to the outcome of I mean, i'm also not drinking though not drinking probably helps that um mm-hmm. but it but we have is like a much more all-encompassing life-encompassing journey thing and yep. yeah i um, i'm totally on board there Yep. I love that. I love that. I have to inject a little bit. Um, so like being more, more emotionally intelligent, that would, I, that would be how I reframe that uh, just a little bit. So I, I mean, being emotionally intelligent can still be a point, but to say, I want to be more emotionally intelligent means, okay, I want to, it's a, it's a line instead of a point again. And then, and then once I think the thing that I was just thinking of too, is that if we, if, if our, values are, are what are directing us rather than a goal, then we can say, um, I, I want to be more emotionally intelligent. And also I am more emotionally intelligent than I have been. And that's, and I think that's where we're between is growing more and having grown. And, and that's the point actually on the line that is the focus is like, I have grown and I am growing and here I am right now. And it's okay that I'm on this, I'm on this line growing towards whatever those things that you just, whatever things we have as goals, which are beautiful goals that you mentioned, emotional intelligence and vulnerable friendships. And then we can say, I, I have grown too. Yeah. I'm thinking about a couple, like an educational concept and then a couple elements for, from Orthodox practice that, that might fit with us too. So, so in, mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's an educational concept, uh, but I mean, we use it in counseling sometimes too, but it's this idea of the zone of proximal development or like your flow state. And it's a balance between between being uh, over-challenged and under-challenged. Because if you don't challenge yourself enough, you stagnate. And if you challenge yourself too much, you get overwhelmed and you can't learn. And so the, the balance you always look for is what is the right amount of challenge for me? Or what is the right structure, the right framework, the right set of disciplines for me? Um, and I, I talk about this all the time when my, my recovery groups is, you know, guys are, you know, wanting to pursue sobriety recovery. And there's always these questions of like, how much Instagram should I, or shouldn't I look at how, what should I, or shouldn't I let myself watch on TV? You know, I have this partner. Yeah. Should we, or should we not have sex or touch or this or that? And, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's really highly contextualized per this person's life and a lot of yeah. factors to determine, should they be more or less strict with themselves? And when I've seen that, shift within the same person over a few months um you know based on like a lot of factors and i guess this is where you, you need like like a wise counselor or a spiritual mentor or someone who is or a sponsor or someone who's been doing this work longer who like kind of knows some of the things to watch for who mm-hmm. can give you input or, or perspective and say i see you going through these things try this a little bit try adjusting this a little bit uh watch out for that thing but uh, yep. so 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 I guess an example that could come up within like Orthodox practice. So we so we do so we do fasting and kind of a kind kind of a, 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 a one threshold is just like keep the fasting days. You know, it's like no meat, no wine on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then there's these longer fasting seasons. Already you go into those and like there's special provision made for like if you are 
like pregnant or nursing, or if you have like an underlying condition or it would be like dangerous for you to fast. Like there's already like economia allowance to like be gentler on yourself, but like, you know, if you can do it, you can do it. And I know I'm, I'm vulnerable to this. Like I'm vulnerable to looking at some of the monastics and the aesthetics and some of these like aesthetic saints who are rumored to have like, you know, eaten like once a week and prayed a whole bunch. <laughs> you know, there's a reason like they can like do battle with demons the way that they can, but like they're also monastics and they live a very specific sort of life. And we, we have this, this maxim within Orthodox practice, like uh, don't, don't compare yourself to the monks. Uh, you're, you're a lay person. Don't try to be a monk because <laughs> you're not a monk. And there, there's a part of me that would very much like to try to be a monk, but I can't. So in that there's a sense of, I can't compare myself. I have to allow myself that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a lay person. I'm a lay person with a wife and kids and a practice there's only so much I'm going to be able to do in this context, but whatever that is, I, sh- I should do it to its fullness. And, and that's, I guess, a, a place to where these other fringe benefits, like, you know, maybe greater humility come in. I was actually thinking of this when you're talking about allowing failure or allowing that when we fail, it is maybe for us to learn something even from the failure, or we could say when providentially God allows us to fail and this or that it's maybe a bad thing air quotes, but you know, even the bad things, you know, God is able to make into good things because it's part of part of the divine providence. So I think in that regard, what we can do then is, is recognize, okay, so here's, you know, whatever standard I'm trying to reach, you know, fasting on fast days, abstaining from porn, abstaining from alcohol, you know, not killing people or whatever. Good, good standards to meet. And when we don't meet those, okay, maybe in the technical sense, we, we, we failed, but maybe even there, it's like, the, there's still opportunity there. There's still opportunity for our growth, for our theosis, for our salvation, because like when I see myself failing, then I need to, I need to move through that. And I need to either, I can, I can hold on to like my, my, my pride and have a crushed pride and say like, well, I just need to try harder and I'm going to be really critical with myself or I can... Or I can absorb that and say, okay, I have learned now that I am not able to do everything on my own. Or I've learned my limits. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I have another I have another friend who he's he's on his own recovery journey. And through a series of, you know, multiple relapses, I mean, he, he's talked about this too. And it's been hard for me to hear sometimes because there's this you know, critical judgy part of me that's like, well, I mean, you know stuff. And like, I mean, some modicum of abstinence should be possible. And gosh, come on, what's going on? Which is rather mean of me. But I mean, but he often talks about how even in his failures, I mean, he's able to draw closer to the Lord in that. And in his failures, he's able to kind of revel in the humiliation or the humility of it and and find, find the grace of God to him even in that. And so, I don't know, it's this... I guess challenging concept to think about, but that even even our failures are also for our growth. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's so complicated because it's. I mean, so we could just take porn as the example, and that's and that's one that's powerful for me because that's been my struggle. Um, that at my end point, my goal has always been just don't look at it ever, stop looking at it, be done, and and I. Who knows? Maybe I'm there. Maybe I'll never look at it again. And that's what I, that's the thought every single time I'm in between, um, relapses. It's like, okay, maybe I've made it finally. Um, and, 
And that's kind of the thing that I often trick myself into believing is like, okay, I think I've arrived. Maybe I'm done, you know? And I just, I just keep coming back to, I think, I think actually having the end point of like never looking at pornography again, I think might be damaging. I think it, I think it might be, it's non-acceptance of what is and it's not, it doesn't, I think there's good in it. I think, I think the thing about that is like, we, we see that this thing that we have done and that is hard for us, we see that it hurts. We see that it hurts ourselves and others. And we see that it is good to not do that thing. Like that's, that's really good to see. And that's how we learn. We see, we see that some of the things we do hurt, hurt ourselves and others. And then we, we try a little bit better, you know, or we try, we try to do better and try not to hurt ourselves as much. And I think you're right that like there, there is good that comes from a lot of these things that gets, um, you know, God providence, um, just the universe is able to take these things and, and turn them on their head and be like, okay, you're just, you're going to learn out of this. And actually I think the biggest way that, that good comes from pain and from hurt is communal, that, that we are learning from this, um, that, that we get to share with others, with the, especially with the next generation, the ways that we have learned and hurt and um, grown, you know, that they, can, they get to learn from people who've, who've already done some of these things and try not to do those same things themselves, you know? Um, but I, I, I just, I, I think maybe as a, as a twist of like, okay, I want to never look at porn. That's the point that I want to arrive in. I think it's just like, I, I want to see that there's damage in it. I want to see that there's beauty and love in, um, and not using it and like, um, and having more healthy sexual just a, a healthier actual healthier healthier sexual health basically that it's just like it's a value it's like instead of a point i want to be more sexually healthy that's that would be more the goal and 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 of course with a lot of addictions there's there's a lot of values that are totally inter, interdependent upon um each other that that help us um move towards less of this damaging behavior, you know, but I think when the focus is on just the behavior, then it's, it's attachment. It's like, I have to, I should, I'm not, I, and it's just shame. It's just shame and it's fear. And, and it's really easy to be like, I'm not where I am. And the, I mean, the thing about, I think shame is, is so central. If we think to ourselves, I am not good enough I'm not where I should be, then the lower the self-worth, the more motivation we have to hurt ourselves. That's, it's just, it's not logical to think I suck. I'm going to do what's good for me. It doesn't make sense. If we think, if we think we're horrible, then we're going to treat ourselves that way. We, that's how, that's how it goes, you know? Yeah. Cause we have to live in, we have to live consistently with our, with our, with our core values. And so, yeah, if I have a core value of I'm a loathsome scumful worm, yeah, I will mm-hmm. eventually treat myself that way. Yeah. So if we treat ourselves, 
as though we're the opposite of that worm right now, as, as though we are trying our best with the circumstances, as, as though we are right where God would have us, right where we are meant to be on this learning direction towards, towards love and towards skillfulness, then, then we can treat ourselves that way. But if we don't, we're going to treat ourselves the way that we're viewing, viewing ourselves. Yeah. When you talk about like the school of, you know, not looking at porn again and, and what do you do with that? Uh, there's something, I think there's something really beautiful illustrated there because when you, uh, and, and I, I mean, this comes up for me a lot in a lot of conversations also, um, but the difference between like a, like an abstinence goal versus like a thriving goal. Um, so it's like, if my only goal is to not do something like that's grammatically negative, I'm taking something out of my life and it's like a subtractive move that leaves a void and voids have to be filled. And there's a way to like, if I'm just focused on like abstaining from something, there, there could be this preoccupation with myself really. And like, how much control can I maintain? And it's all about, yeah, it's, it's fear. It's a fear move. It's like the most primitive level of fear. I'm afraid of consequences. I'm afraid of losing control. I'm afraid of how I'm going to feel this one way or the other. And so out of that fear, I'm going to abstain. Whereas uh, shifting to, well, there's things that I want. I mean, that, that's a more sophisticated level of, of fears, like the fear of not getting something, something good. And so me, this could be the case. I want a good relationship with my wife. I want a healthy sex life. I want, uh, you know, the, the uncluttered mind. And so for that reason, or, or even to say, there's things I want to do. I want to write a book. So-and-so wants to like go on a trip. So-and-so wants to like build a company. You know, I want to do things that I couldn't do if I was still acting out or sinning. And so, um, for the sake of the benefits, I will work to abstain, but that, that abstinence is always paired with a creative thing. I'm taking something out and I'm putting something back in and that's more sophisticated, but perhaps like even the most sophisticated, it's, it's this relationship maneuver. Like he talked about, I mean, and you've talked about this whole time of like knowing when I, when I act out, when I sin, it's, it's harmful and damaging to others. And when, when that becomes maybe more central, this, this idea of like, I really don't want to hurt this person that I love. Like that's the thing. That's, that's an empathy move. That's not about you anymore. That's you being bigger than your own self, transcending yourself and now having space to consider another person's experience. And kind of by default, when you're doing that, like that turns you away from these other preoccupations and fears, because now you have a fear that's driven by love and, it tends to be stronger. It tends to be more sustainable. It's relational. There's attachment, there's security there. So yeah, it's going to work better. Yeah, I really agree. So, and the next, the next thing that I, um, statement that I kind of wanted to get into is that we are good and have a good place in this world and that focus on, so anything that Richard Rohrer, one of my, one of my dudes, which is telling, telling a little bit, um, he, he says that Christ is anything that brings us from I to we. And it's not, it's not, I think the, the damage that I've seen in Christianity that I've grown up in, um, is, is I've been brought from I to them in a lot of ways, um, that don't focus on self focus on others. It's kind of like any focus on self is labeled as selfish and self-centered. And there's, there's some truth to that. I I've started to refer to that, uh, not as pride or selfishness, but as self elevation specifically that, that we are more important than others. But I think the balance in between is that 
that we are just as valuable as every single other individual and valuing us valuing we is is the humble humble balance um valuing them and us below them is also horrible it's also dehumanizing it's it's saying you're less than and that's it so 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 there can be it's like this it's, it's this interesting balance between focusing on self and focusing on, on others because there's a damaging area too where if you're if you're just focusing on okay i want to stop this habit for the sake of others for the sake of my partner for the sake of people in my church then it can it can be still shame and fear based <clears throat> it can be i want to be lovable i want to be good enough they they are better than me so they're they're worth it basically because they are worth it not because we are worth it so the balance in between so if, if my my partner and I we just got a little sign that says I love us and that's something we've been kind of saying to each other and that's something that um, we kind of want to be central to our marriage is more than I love you and and our and our in, intermediate phrase in between this was um, I love me we would actually say because especially because we've we've grown up both together in Protestant Christianity and have kind of over corrected into focus on them rather than all of us just like um shame you know so we we, we would say i love i would lo- i love me as as she was leaving for work you know and then and then now we're we're moving towards i love us i i love i love me i love you and we're both doing that together and that's i think that's the balance where it's like that's a good reason it's because you love i love both amanda and i love me that's a good reason for me to to keep growing keep keep learning and keep keep loving but it's interesting that on on either side can we can be really easily pulled into shame and that the balance in between of valuing both me and her about i and which is a part of we like it's it's a precarious balance and both are really needed it is a precarious balance, but it's getting at that, uh, that concept of we are one body with each other and, uh, you know, all of the parts affect all of the other parts. And so, yeah, any, any part that gets out of balance is going to have effects on all of the others that end up reciprocating back to me as well. Like, you know, if I, if I, if I want a healthy parish, uh, I need to be healthy and, you know, contributing to that. Otherwise, like the health that gets circled back to me is going to be lessened. So, Yeah. Uh, thinking in terms of us as a, as a, as a collective, I think can be really useful. And, and we've done there too. You, I love your term, uh, self-elevation as a more specific understanding of what is selfish. My, my jargon bit would be like self-preoccupation or self-obsession, uh, which could either be like, I'm so good or I'm so bad. You know, either way, it's like, I'm so, I'm so, and, uh, it's in that mode that I kind of forget. Oh, wait, what about you? <laughs> so, being yourself, being kind of clear about this is who I am and what I need and what I can offer and all of that. And I kind of know where, where I begin and you end. And when I'm confident in who I am, then I have a lot more space to be with you and to make space for your needs and and caring for you. And, and when also when I need to like stop that and pull back, there's, there's a lot that starts with being a healthy person. Yeah. Yeah. So, so another, another one of my dudes, this is also telling and they are all dudes at this point, mostly. Ram Das is another one of my guys. And one of the things that he loves to say 
um, that he says often is that the best thing we can do to love others is to love ourselves and to be ourselves. That, that actually when we, when we get to know who we are and how we're growing, um, that is the most powerful, powerful way that we can, we can love others. Um, there's a quote that says that like, I forget exactly what it is, but the world is, that's exactly what the world needs. It's people that are alive as they become themselves. And I think I'm still wrapping my mind around what that, what that really means. But I think it's centered on the idea that we, we can't really love people unless we know them. And, and, um, we can't really know what it means to love a person unless we have gotten to know ourselves and love ourselves because we, we are the only person really that can, that can really know ourselves basically like, and, and we're the, we're the person who, who decides if someone else can get to know us as well. And that's only through self-knowledge that someone's able to get to know what is actually going on in us. And that's, and we're the often a person that we, we neglect and we need to uh, especially in Christianity, I think we can more, much more easily focus on getting to know and love others and accept others and having spaciousness for others. But if we're if we're able to get to this point where we see all of our stuff, we see we see kind of our fears and our shame, um, our our self elevation, like our, our the cycles in our in our brain, um, and then and then we also see our circumstances, and I think that's a lot has a lot to do with self, the work on self and going back to childhood development and um, just these, these fears that have been conditioned into us that we're reacting, these attachments to, of I have to, I should, I shouldn't, I can't, um, this can't happen, all these things. If we get to know those, that's, and then we, and then we love ourselves in those. That's really extremely good practice because everyone else has those circumstances too. They all have those, those conditioning things and they might not even know them honestly, but if we know our own, then we can, we can understand how someone else and their circumstances may have led them to this point in time where they are trying their best in the circumstances and it's resulting in whatever. So like, like one of my practices just last year has been, I, I started with, with Trump I started by by looking looking at Trump as as though he was a person who is trying the best in his circumstances. That uh, trying trying to imagine the ways that he had been had been raised in in a culture that was focused on power and on and on money and on um, getting getting the job done, whatever that is, at whatever cost, basically. And 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 viewing him through that lens um, and the ways that he would have he could have been affected as a kid as, as I was powerfully affected by my father and my mother and my environment. It, it's, it came from, it came from a reflection on how I've been conditioned and, and, and what um, that has resulted in, in me. And then it cycled back on itself. As soon as I was starting to practice loving, loving Trump and, and seeing the good in, in him and seeing the ways that he's trying his best with the circumstances that gets easier and easier for me to love me. You know, if, if I, if there's no one in this world that I can hate and I believe that they're trying their best in their circumstances, then, then me too. So my next person has been Hitler. I'm, I've been trying to imagine the ways that, that Hitler had, had, had probably been extremely hurt, extremely lied to 
and was seeking love in horrible ways that were very um, nation race centric. That were there. Those were those were his people. Whatever it was, like I think he imagining how even he, who is the most like that's kind of the person in the world. He's kind of the know? archetype of like evil. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Or, or that, that's how we default to seeing him anyway. But like, I mean, this is a really bold yeah. exploration. So. Yeah. Judas, Judas is another one. Like if, uh-huh. if these people, if they, if, if, if they're born, I, I mean, I believe Hitler, Judas, Trump as babies, they're beautiful. They were love. They were God designed. And then what happened after that is what led to them being Trump, Hitler and Judas. You know, just as just as all the things that have happened to me have led to me to being Ian. And I, I wasn't I don't believe any born is any baby is born hateful. I don't believe any of those three people were born any any less sinful or fallen state than any other person. So but that practice, yeah. it, it makes it so that like if I can if I can see that Hitler is trying his best in his circumstances, then I then I, it's easier for me to view myself that way, to be my the, the houseless person on the street, to view the person who's yelling me yelling at me or um, yeah. arguing with me on Facebook, you know? Right. When we really take seriously this idea to, you know, love your enemies, it's this idea of recognizing they are first a human. They're first an icon of Christ made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And everything they do is in a context and for a reason. And sure, I mean, logical mishaps abound. But like when you can extend that benefit to a person or, or allow them that graciousness, yes, it becomes possible to you know love even even the traditionally most, most hateful people. And then, yeah, if you have that kind of space for that kind of person, you have more space for like the people close to you, more space for your own self. And, mm-hmm. and then you can grow. That's really beautiful. I think that is amazing. Um, I, I, I love where we were able to, to take this and a lot of the ideas we were able to circulate as a teaser. I know you, you brought up this question about like, what do we do with suffering? Mm-hmm. And I would like to, to give that, more time sometime because it's also, it's a very important question. So, yeah. um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll pause that here in, if you have any last thoughts, I'd love to hear them, but also, uh, if a listener wants to reach out to you for further dialogue about any of this, uh, where can you be found on the internet or on the globe? Cool. Uh, Instagram is probably the easiest. I'm at Ian son of Nell on Instagram. Um, or you can look me up on Facebook if you're older or something and use Facebook still. Um, Ian, I think it's it's just I think it might be Ian Thomas Nelson on Facebook. But yeah. closing thoughts is you, the listener. I believe <clears throat> that you are good and you have a good place in this world. And I hope that you are growing in the ways that you are able to see yourself that way. And to not only see yourself that way, but to let that, that sight and that belief bleed into the practice and the ways that you love yourself. Um, and I believe, strongly believe that that practice of loving yourself and seeing yourself that way is going to affect the way that you love every other person as you, as you begin to view them as, as being good and having a good place in this world and trying their best in the circumstances. So. Yeah. I love you. I don't know you who's listening, but I know, I know that you, that those things are true about you, that you're good. That's it. All right. Well, thank you, Ian, for your love and your thoughts and your reflections and your boldness in loving 
people that are, and just love it, loving people, loving people wherever you find them in whatever context. Same to you. Well, thank you. All right. So we will wrap it there. Uh, and again, because this is our first episode, I don't have uh, my formal exit speech feel developed yet, but it probably includes something like go check out our Patreon and support us <laughs> and rate us well. So yeah, anyway, do that. Because Reese right. is a good place in this world and so does this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. And come back next time and we'll continue our journey together. Sounds great. Thank you for joining me in today's conversation. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and a clinical counselor with specialties in substance use, compulsive behaviors, sexuality, and trauma. You can reach me through newpatterncounseling.com. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. The music is by Titus Lockard. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast from all your favorite platforms. Please also consider showing your support of this work through contributing dollars through the podcast page at patreon.com slash outer circle. Thank you and see you next time.